And with Cameron's voice, with the voice of Cameron Dye, I welcome everybody to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour as we premiere in our new home on milehighradio.com. So glad you're tuning in today. Thanks to Haas for welcoming welcoming me into the family and uh, sitting behind the board today. It's a real treat to be here, and in the coming weeks, my uh, listeners, as you swap over from uh, a different web address, you'll probably uh, hear a lot that's familiar. Uh, we'll get Cameron's intro back in, backed by Truckin', saying uh, you are tuned in to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour coming to you live from the studios of MileHighRadio.com every Monday at 1 p.m. Mountain Time. And uh, we are a conversation about men at home, at work, and at play. And uh, stay tuned. Because today's uh, conversation, I uh, I guarantee you, it's going to have uh, something to uh, perk up your ears and make you think. The real war within is what I'm calling uh, this uh, conversation with Dr. Sam Sappington, a psychologist and activist in uh, Oregon who's calling in to talk about uh, the clients he sees in therapy who are men and women returning home from deployment in war zones, particularly Iraq and Afghanistan. And um, Sam has a, a, a lot to share. There's a lot for us to talk about and a lot I think we'll all be thinking about as a result of our conversation today. So do stay tuned for that. And let me ask you a favor as we get started today. Would you let other people know that the Grateful Dad Radio Hour is on the air at milehighradio.com? Um, you're listening on your computer right now, so send them um, an email and just say, hey, Point your browser to to milehighradio.com, and uh, that's where you can tune in the Grateful Dad Radio Hour, or send them a text right there with the link and and point them to it. If they're getting that on their phone, they can also use TuneIn Radio. That's an app, TuneIn Radio. It's one uh, I'll have to tell Haas the story. I encountered them uh, in in force in the Bay Area where TuneIn Radio uh, is housed, and they were all over the outside. Lands Festival, which I was all over uh, this weekend in San Francisco as well. Let them know they can point their browser to milehighradio.com or use the TuneIn Radio app and just ask for milehighradio.com as a favorite there and you can listen to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. Or heck, pick up your phone and give them a call and say, hey, the Grateful Dad Radio Hour is on the air. This is milehighradio.com and uh, it's Doug Gertner, as usual, talking about the real war within today with Sam Sappington as my guest. And I'll be eager for uh, your feedback. Let us know. You can even uh, give us a shout out through the chat function on the page or, um, heck, text me at 303-886-4114. Tweet me at Doug Gertner is my Twitter handle. And while you're doing all the social media stuff, like me on Facebook at The Grateful Dads is The Grateful Dads page. And also, uh, you can just go to my Doug Gertner page, look at my pictures, become my friend. I'm really delighted to be here on milehighradio.com. Uh, Haas, the <clears throat> station owner, engineer, and guru has invited me, welcomed me in, and I'm so pleased to be a part of uh, the regular rotation here. 
Um, I, I'm not going to say I was nervous in anticipation of uh, my first show today. I will say this, uh, a, a telltale sign of uh, a certain amount of awareness, you might even call it anxiety, is that um, I, 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 I don't often remember my dreams, but I'm going to tell you I, I recall two dreams overnight, um, both of which had clearly to do with uh, coming in uh, to do radio. So, and, and the, the, the one I remember most distinctly was, um, it wasn't this kind of radio, but I was involved in some kind of a live music broadcast where I was about to take my solo when I woke up, not in a panic, but in an awareness that I was on or about to be on. And, and, um, Haas and, and my listeners may or may not know this about me, but I do not play any instruments. So that was definitely a, uh, somewhat representational dream, but but very much about uh, coming on for the first time here. So um, again, much gratitude and and anticipation. I'm glad to be at MileHighRadio.com, bringing you the Grateful Dad Radio Hour every Monday, uh, one o'clock Mountain Time. And so please let folks know. Stay tuned in. Sam Sappington will bring us a, a really interesting conversation today. Next week, I'm inv- uh, glad to invite back after just uh, coming on my show one time for 10 minutes. Uh, we'll have the full hour with Rabbi Brant Rosen. He's a pulpit rabbi in Chicago, uh, Illinois, also an activist, author, and poet. And we're going to do uh, Wrestling with the Holy Land, really a critical look at Israel and Middle East relations that I think you'll appreciate. Rabbi Rosen is known nationally, internationally for his outspokenness and his support of a two-state solution. Pretty timely as the peace talks continue, thanks to Secretary of State John Kerry. August 26th brings a show I'm calling Black Man Rising with Mike Thompson from the Father's Show Resource Program and uh, hopefully some others who uh, support young African-American men as... Um, male mentors in their communities. We'll follow that up after a couple-week hiatus over the holiday uh, period. I'll be back on September 16th, and the show is White Man Falling with Professor Abby Ferber sharing her experience and academic and firsthand knowledge of uh, white supremacists. Finally, on September 23rd, the bobblehead dad, Jim Higley, will be uh, calling in, I think, from Minnesota. He talks about the vanilla moments in life and has an amazing story of recovery from cancer. Lots of stories from his life and work as the bobblehead dad. That's on September 23rd. So stay tuned for that. But those who've listened before, thanks for joining me again. Those those who are listening for the first time, welcome. Um, what you need to know is some things stay the same even now as we're uh, mile high radio bound. But um, each week at this time, I like to reflect on what I'm grateful for, and I call it my moment of gratitude. You see, every day I try to use my gratitude journal and note those things for which I'm grateful, and this just continues to remind me I have so much to be grateful for. And so today, as the summer travel season winds down, I want to pause for just a second and offer my moment of gratitude for getaways and safe returns, because I'm so grateful for the freedom to get away during the summer and for coming home. I'm grateful for the big weekend just passed, celebrating my birthday on a getaway with my beloved Maggie, hearing live music, eating great food, seeing beautiful views, doing fun city stuff 
in San Francisco. And I'm also grateful for the fact that our son was away at camp on a getaway of his own, not just because it permitted us to travel, but because he has such a wonderful experience with such memorable, fun times during those two weeks at camp. With gratitude, I celebrate that our station owner, guru, and engineer Haas took time away from these duties here to make an epic motorcycle trip to Sturgis and uh, went to that gathering of two-wheeled tribesmen that brings much-needed joy and renewal to all who make the pilgrimage, including, I'm assuming, Haas. And gratefully, I appreciate the returning home we all have enjoyed. Me, Maggie, Jordy, Haas, many friends, all of you listening, home, safe, and ready for the coming months back to work and school with plans, of course, to get away again. So that's my moment of gratitude for this week for summer travel and safe returns. And once again, I'm grateful to everyone for listening to the Grateful Dad Radio Hour today. I do encourage you to make a habit of being grateful. The long and winding I've seen that road before it always leads me You can't miss the uh, unmistakable voice of uh, Paul McCartney from uh, the Beatles version of The Long and Winding Road. I appreciate us getting that on an appropriate uh, follow-up to my moment of gratitude and also the specifics that uh, I got to see him uh, play that live. Uh, one of the great, many great moments in my life. So now I want to ask the uh, same question of the aforementioned Haas back safely and behind the board from uh, his trip and uh, here for my maiden voyage. I'm really grateful to you for welcoming me to the fold, all your help and support. And I wonder, sir, if I may, what are you grateful for today? Well, what what an appropriate song. Yeah. Oh, my gosh. How about that? Having just gotten back from a long, winding trip uh to Sturgis and back where uh, my nephew and I rode and uh had a blast we we really did so i'm i'm grateful for getaways as well uh first one i've had since uh since last year when i went to Sturgis <laughs> it's an annual but, thing yeah but 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 more importantly because i mean getaways are great but and and they help to rejuvenate us supposed to anyway and this one did, although I'm still tired. Um, I'm grateful for friends. Mm. Um, going through some tough times personally. And I hate to put anybody on the spot. I hate to say, hey, I need this, I need that. Um, typically my MO is I kind of, here's, here's my needs and just a, a general blanket statement or series of statements. And I'm grateful for the friends that step up to the plate and say, hey, I can help. I can do this, and they have no idea how much their little acts of kindness mean to me right now. So, And um, maybe they do, and if not, I know you'll let them know. We're not queuing up any more music anytime soon until after my monologue, but it sounds like we could throw in another Beatles song. I get by with a little help from my friends. Oh, Thank you, Haas. Amen. Thank you, and, um, you know, Take care. These moments of gratitude, as we were saying off mic, um, really uh, raise our awareness and actually uh, 
help make things better. So I want to turn now to my guest, um, psychologist and activist Sam Sappington, who I happen to know does his fair share of travel. And, and in fact, my family and uh, Sam and Clark uh, shared part of our summer vacation a couple of years back up in the uh, Pacific Northwest. So um, you'll be meeting him just a bit later, but let me bring him in uh, for this question. Hey, Sam, what are you grateful for today? Hi, Doug. It's uh, great to have a chance to hear you on the air. Um, boy, I guess a couple of thoughts come to mind. You know, I'm I'm grateful for uh, having a career now that I've been working in for more than 20 years. It's been incredibly enriching, enriching and rewarding for me, and I'm anxious to get a chance to talk more about some of that work on your show today. I'm uh, grateful for the amazing bumper crop of peaches that we're having out here in the Willamette Valley of Oregon this summer and got to enjoy a delicious peach on top of a bowl of cereal this morning. Um, and I'm really grateful for the opportunity to um, be part of your transition to your new radio home out there in Denver and uh, uh, see how we can uh, help facilitate that transition for you this week. Thanks, Sam. We're gonna we're gonna talk more later, and at least in my headphones, and maybe for our listeners, um, your audio isn't all it could be. So I suppose you and uh, Haas will uh, be kind of recalibrating things. I, I just want to add that I'm asking this question of all of my listeners. Take a minute, consider, if you will, what are you grateful for today? Just as I added, just as Haas and, and Sam so beautifully added, think about it. And if you want to, go to my website, thegratefuldad.org slash shop to get your copy of The Grateful Dad's Gratitude Journal and start keeping a gratitude journal today. I really recommend it. Well, an, uh, another regular feature of this show that we'll get to uh, before we meet Sam is what I call uh, the Full Circle Fatherhood Report. It's based on my contribution to the men's anthology titled Ordinary Men, Extraordinary Lives, Defining Moments that has been one of the sponsors of my show, and I expect uh, them to continue sponsoring me over here at milehighradio.com. And uh, today's edition of the Full Circle Fatherhood Report is titled Resolve. It's based on the, 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 the notion, the memory, that one of the many small sad things I recall from the earliest days of caring for my father as his Alzheimer's disease progressed was an occasion when he called me, as he did really with maddening frequency during those days, and, and, and he wanted to tell me that he had a new project. I was really, I was glad to hear the energy, that positive tone in my father's voice because he'd been really down, really depressed since moving to Denver from his longtime Florida home. And so with excitement, my dad described this plan of his to organize his address book and use it to make contact with many old friends and associates far and wide. He even asked me to order some stationery for him with his new address on it, which I dutifully did. And my father never used a sheet of it. My dad, in fact, soon forgot about those plans, as he did with so many small and short-term events and ideas. For my part, I didn't act to assist him on the project. I just saw that it was going to be a difficult task for him, and I just let the resolution slip away, much like his memory. How different is this from the resolve of a younger man, like, say, my son, my teenage son, Jordy? At about the same time as my father's fleeting desire to get organized, my son resolved to improve his drawing and sketching skills. 
Being a fan of Japanese anime and exposed at home and at school to many fine arts, Jordy wanted to become a better artist himself. I got to tell you, in all honesty, I was skeptical. You know, much as with my dad, it seemed unlikely in my mind that my son would stick to the task and see much improvement in his artwork. My own artistic talents are essentially nil, while his mother is pretty good but seldom does much more than a random sketch here or there. But I'm going to tell you, in all honesty again, in this case, I've had to eat my words as Jordy's drawing skills have made amazingly good strides. His resolve really paid off, and it was evident in his school art projects and in the random sketches that I see him do quite often for amusement. He impressed me with his follow-through and his results, and it gives me faith in his next big resolution to go out for his high school cross-country team. He starts high school this year. Practice begins tomorrow, so stay tuned on that. Now, to be fair, I need to examine my own resolve and honestly critique my ability to stay the course. So far, I've done it for over 20 months with this radio show, and I'm keeping up pretty well with my blogging and branding and growing the Grateful Dad. But really, am I up for the task? Will I peter out before too long like my dad did, or will I meet and exceed my own expectations and others? as with my son. One new project that'll be a gauge of this question are the plans I'm making for the Great Thanksgiving, a gratitude event. My idea idea is to take off the month of November this year. No paid work. Instead, I plan to pay it forward. The idea is to precede the Thanksgiving holiday by giving away as many two-hour gratitude workshops as possible to anyone interested in attending. I'll be contacting my EMU consulting clients to offer them freebie events for their employees, and I'll be holding a public event in the Stapleton neighborhood in Denver. November is the perfect month for giving thanks, and if you're interested in spending time reflecting on gratitude, be sure to contact me. There are three full weeks during the month prior to the holiday break, and I'm resolved to do at least 10 and as many as 20 talks on the topic of how being grateful actually brings more good stuff to our lives. I've discovered the immense power of daily gratitude journaling, and I want to share what I've learned with as many folks as possible. Again, stay tuned and let me see how it goes. And that's the Full Circle Fatherhood Report for this week. It's posted on my blog at thegratefuldad.org. So, this is the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. It's on castlerockradio.com. And um, we're either going to talk to our uh, guest a little bit, and um, then we'll expect a break. And I know Haas will let me know when the break is. Um, Sam Sappington. I'm so glad that you could join us from Oregon. I'm going to introduce you now and um, be prepared because the questions just keep coming. I, I, I'm just going to remember the first time I saw Sam Sappington, it was in 1989. We were both attending, although not yet acquainted. We were at the National Conference on Men and Masculinity. It was sponsored by NOMAS, uh, the National Organization for Men Against Sexism, who is soon to be named one of our nonprofit sponsors for the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. Not long after that, Sam became my colleague and collaborator at Colorado State University, where we developed and taught the first ever women's studies class about men at CSU. He's been a friend ever since, and I've been a fan of his good work, both as a psychologist and 
as an activist. Sam Sappington earned his doctorate in counseling psychology from University of Maryland. He served as a psychologist and training director at Colorado State and Oregon State Universities. Dr. Sappington currently has a busy private practice in Corvallis, Oregon and thereabouts. He's also active in state politics, serving as a delegate to the 2008 Democratic Convention and running for a seat in the state legislature in Oregon. Marriage equality is also currently keeping Sam politically active as he's working on a statewide ballot initiative again in Oregon. In recent years, my friend Sam has shared with me his concerns for the clients he sees in therapy who are struggling after serving in the military, especially those men and women who were deployed in Iraq and Afghanistan. The trauma of serving in a war zone comes home with these soldiers, and as you'll hear, my guest today is actively involved in their treatment and healing process. Stay tuned for a look inside the real war that is within so many of our brave veterans today on the Grateful Dad Radio Hour as I welcome Sam Sappington to the show. So welcome, Sam. Thank you so much, Doug. Hey, you're sounding good, and so while we've got you sounding so good, thanks to Haas as well, um, I, I, as you know, I always begin by asking my guests a bit about themselves, their background, and I ask you to touch on a defining moment or two in your life, kind of tying in um, with our sponsor, the Men's Anthology. So as a friend of yours for over 20 years, I mean, I wonder how you'd introduce yourself as a man, a partner, a psychologist, an activist. I can think of many mileposts that I've heard of or shared with you, but what comes to mind uh, when you tell your story that way? Wow. Um, I, like you just said, I kind of feel like I have worn many hats over the years, and and uh, I like the fact that my life has evolved in ways where I've... Uh, I've uh, been able to kind of uh, experience many things and fill many roles in life. You know, I, 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 I really do like the role of being a, a psychologist and being a therapist. It's something I've done for a little over 20 years now. It's been nice to. I reached the 20-year mark a little over a year ago. Uh, I spent those first 13 years of my career working primarily in a university setting, providing mental health services primarily to college and university students, but uh, made a transition about, uh, oh, it was about 10 years ago, I guess, into the world of private practice. And I currently have offices in both Corvallis, Oregon, and Salem, Oregon, and it's always fascinating to me to see uh, what kind of clients the universe and the cosmos kind of bring my way. And that, that evolves. That goes through different stages and different phases at different points in time, at different points throughout my career. And oh, for about the last seven or eight years now, I, I have been working with veterans to the point now where they make up about 50%, about half of my, my private practice clients out here in the Willamette Valley of Oregon. And... Um, uh, it's been a very powerful experience for me to hear from them about their various struggles and the various wounds that they have brought back with them from war, whether we're talking about psychological and emotional wounds or physical wounds. Um, so when I, when I ask about moral wounds. So when I ask about um, defining moments, I, I, I hear you chart them and they go by very quickly over 20 years from, you know, becoming Dr. Sam Sappington to your counseling center work on college campuses to your private practice work to what we came about, what we came to talk about today. Um, so do tell me more about 
your clients who are returning veterans, who are they? Where are they coming from? How did they come to you? And, and what are their initial concerns that they present with when, when, um, you see somebody in therapy in your practice? Um, you know, let's talk generally, then we'll talk specifically, maybe, uh, anonymously, a couple of, of stories to paint the picture. But, you know, who are they generally and how did you start seeing, um, as the, the, as many, uh, veterans from where are they returning? And, and again, what, before we get as deeply into it, what are the initial concerns they present with? It's a great question, Doug, and in some ways it's, it's primarily a function of the fact of where, where I live and work geographically and where veterans uh, who live in this kind of Corvallis, Albany area of Oregon live. To be honest, it's, I, I'm, I'm part of a special program that is offered through the Veterans Administration System, the VA system where they have uh, set up a system for mo- most of the last decade where any veterans who live more than 75 miles away from one of the major VA hospitals, and for us the closest one is up in Portland, about 85 miles away, but any veterans who live more than 75 miles away from a VA hospital who already have either a diagnosis or a disability rating within the VA system the VA gives them permission to go ahead and access mental health services in their own hometown communities. So I'm, te- I'm technically a contract therapist through the VA's fee basis system. And it makes it a lot easier for these guys to get, and women for that matter too. I, do, I have seen uh, a couple handfuls of women over the years uh, in my practice as well, women veterans. But it makes it a lot easier for them to get the help that they need without having to drive so far all the way to the major hospital up in Portland. So, and one, so, call, one called me out of the blue mm-hmm. about oh, about seven years ago, and I said, sure, I'd be happy to start working with you. And then next thing I knew, my name started getting out there. The person up in Portland who authorizes these cases, he started giving my name out to different people, and the numbers just started growing to the point where at this point now it makes about, like I said, about 50% of my practice. Um and uh, I, I technically can only see veterans who have at least a 20% disability rating within the VA system, and part of that disability rating has to be for mental health concerns. So these are folks who have already accessed some degree of service and assistance from the VA system, but the VA is just making it easier for them to get their mental health treatment closer to where they live. And I know that I'm currently a team of about oh, anywhere from 10 to 15 private practice therapists in this part of the Willamette Valley who are working with veterans and seeing veterans. So half your practice has become these uh, returning veterans and and all around you this is happening. Um, skewing heavily male, you would suggest, what age and, and where, uh, which conflict zones are they returning from who what's what's a if, if you had to do that you know sort of average demographics thing how would you describe these uh, returning soldiers well most of them are probably folks in their their 20s maybe their 30s but you also need to realize a lot of people may not realize this these these, these more recent military conflicts that our nation has been involved in has also served to kind of re-stimulate a lot of old, uh, 
war wounds, shall we say, and a lot of old issues from our veterans who have fought in earlier conflicts as well. Um, uh, I'd, I'd say the, the, the vast majority of veterans I'm seeing now are from our more recent military conflicts, but I've been surprised how many veterans from the Vietnam era have requested uh, mental health services they, as they watch you know, how these wars have unfolded and how our government has proceeded in these most recent conflicts. It's re-stimulating a bunch of old memories and a bunch of old issues from veterans from earlier wars as well. So, so I'm hearing I, I have a lot of clients in, in their 20s, but I also have a fair number of clients in their 50s and 60s and 70s too. Wow. It's it, it's sounding like something almost of of of, of an echo effect that um, on the one hand we've got as we know um, from from looking around our own communities from keeping up on on the daily news um, men and women returning home from Iraq and Afghanistan usually in their twenty somethings um, oftentimes um, and, and and you'll talk about this after the break oftentimes. After multiple tours and and just about the time that you know their 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 feet felt uh, secure and familiar on the grounds back stateside, they're deployed again, and and so that's the bulk of your your practice. And these men you're seeing who come into you fighting a new war within, but then you're saying there's there's you know, what I'm calling kind of an echo effect, where. Um, somebody from the Vietnam era who may have served in the conflict in Southeast Asia and seen action in, in the Vietnam War um, may also present to you with some of the same kinds of, of post-traumatic uh, stress that um, you're also seeing or, or something certainly not unrelated from what you're seeing in your younger clients. When we come back, I'm going to ask you to define, if you can, clinically PTSD, as we've come to know it, post-traumatic stress disorder. And I'm going to be curious if that's what folks are, are struggling from, struggling with, suffering from, if that's the diagnosis, what are you seeing? And then to get a little bit deeper into their stories, what you're hearing about and and how um, it's difficult um, for them to return home after what they've experienced overseas. You're listening to The Grateful Dad Radio Hour. I'm Doug Gertner, The Grateful Dad. So glad you've joined us now at MileHighRadio.com. Sam Sappington is my guest, a psychologist talking about the war within. Stay with us. We will be right back. The long and winding road. I've seen that road before It always leads me Lead me to Welcome back. This is the Grateful Dad Radio Hour coming to you uh, on our maiden voyage from the studios of MileHighRadio.com right here in the Mile High City of Denver. I am 
settling in with a sigh of relief, feeling home already. And thank you, Haas, for uh, that that uh, little musical bump of The Grateful Dead. Um, I've been working on this show for, as I said, about 20 months, and um, I've got some familiar uh, sounds coming this way. Um, we'll get those integrated in the future, and I'll be just like Pavlov's dog. I'll hear The, the Grateful Dead, and I'll say, welcome back. This is The Grateful Dead Radio Hour on Mile High Radio. And my guest today, I'm, I'm so delighted and honored to have Dr. Sam Sappington um, phoning us from, um, how did you call it, the Willamette Valley in uh, Central Oregon, and a, a place where you've made your home for many years. And as we heard uh, just before the break, Sam has for uh, some time now been seeing in his private therapy practice a real preponderance, up to half of his practice now are um, veterans of military service returning home, I gather mostly from Iraq and Afghanistan, seeing um, action there in those war zones and coming to him. And and Sam, the, the, the kind of the shorthand way that we tend to uh, refer to um, folks returning home from war and the particular struggles they have, um, we say PTSD for post-traumatic stress disorder without quoting chapter and verse the entire DMS, DSM for whatever we're into these days. Um, how can the layperson, um, th- those of us who don't um, live with the, the uh, disorder but don't practice uh, psychology as you, how would you define and help us understand what we're talking about? And then, you know, maybe the best way after a definition would be to illustrate it with an example um, anonymously of one of your clients and how this shows up in their lives. Could you try that for me? I'll try to keep that short. I, I, I could probably take the next half hour and the rest of your show to go into an explanation of PTSD, but I know that's not what you're wanting. It's um, technically it's one of what we call the anxiety disorders, you know, within the broader spectrum of psychological diagnostic categories. Uh, anybody who experiences any kind of a of traumatic event that call that falls far outside the realm of normal day-to-day human experiences and particularly uh, experiences that come with some degree of, of um, loss, uh, the, the threat of losing one's life or the threat of other people right in your immediate vicinity losing their lives. Um, anything that's marked by some degree of horror or some degree of you know, violence that you're either witnessing or that you're being victimized by. These are very, you know, traumatizing experiences that uh, um, uh, for many people um, it becomes something that they kind of re-experience over and over again, either in their memories or in their dreams or their nightmares, leaves them with a very profound sense of fear, leaves them with a sense of wanting to, at all costs, kind of trying to avoid similar kinds of situations or uh, avoid even thinking about any situations that may somehow resemble or may somehow re-stimulate some of the intense emotions. So this is going to, this this PTSD, and and we're talking about it in terms of our returning veterans, but we understand that that victims of violence and and trauma, you know, domestic violence, um, stranger violence, you know, 
all of this um, can show up, but we speak of it, we hear about it most often, and and in some senses, um, you know, not to get us down into another era, um, which I know you and I and Haas could all talk about at, at great length, but it, it, I think it went it, it went undiagnosed or or underdiagnosed in the Vietnam era, and now we're really noting um, that that it's it's happening. Um, in great numbers with our current returning veterans. Um, can you, can you give us a, a vignette of, of w- what you're seeing, what an individual that you've met, you know, specifically is experiencing? And you know, my follow up question is going to be, what are the kinds of traumatic events you're hearing about? But, but, but first, what's, what's the current experience or description that you're hearing of the life of a particular individual? You can give them any name you want. Um, but just who, you know, who's someone and, and what are they, you know, what are you hearing um, in, in specific terms? Well, um, I, can, I can paint a pretty broad brush picture for you of a typical profile. Um, you know, somebody who perhaps has been back home now for, oh, maybe six to nine months. Um, somebody who has discovered that they can't sleep through the night in most cases without being awakened by some kind of nightmare, very vivid nightmare of something that they witnessed or something that they were a part of or something that they might have done while they were uh, in the combat theater. Um, Some people being easily startled or easily awakened by it could even be the sound of a of a garbage truck backing up in front of their house early one morning. Sure. People feeling like they need to keep some kind of a weapon, either a gun or a knife, either right under their pillow or right on their nightstand right next to their bed just to feel like they can go to sleep at night, feeling that they've got a certain degree of safety and a certain ability to protect themselves and their loved ones. Um uh, I, I, I hear stories of people who, when they do go to bed at night, they will check two or three times to make sure that every lock on every door in their house and every window is battened down before they can feel like they can go to bed at night. So this is you know? this is clearly more than just you know what you might call typical vigilance. And again, what I what little I understand about um, how you know, you and others in the helping professions go about diagnosing is, you know, I I mean, I lock my doors at night and um, I'm sometimes awakened, (laughs) as I described last night, you know, it wasn't a nightmare. It was just an awareness that uh, the mic was going to open up today and I was going to be in a new situation. But you're talking about folks who um, within a fairly short time, within, you know, less than a year back from military service in a war zone, are, are, are waking up, I'm picturing, in a cold sweat with the horror of a nightmare. They're easily startled by sounds um, that, that, you know, the desire to keep a weapon nearby. We have the right in this country to, you know, keep and bear arms. And yet these guys did sleep with a weapon for their own safety. And now there's that sense that back home, you know, in what should be a relatively safe environment back home, they still need to do that. Um, you're talking about folks well, those, who, who, those, those mechanisms. Those mechanisms that got turned on to keep them feeling safe and you know whatever degree of protection they could feel while they were in war. Just because they come back home and they leave the war zone, those mechanisms do not automatically shut off and they stay turned on. And this and is that's part of what lives. creates. That's 
part of what creates the huge challenges for them when they do come home. I've got some veterans for whom driving, even driving, you know, five to ten miles between the little towns of Corvallis and Albany, Oregon, um, you know, people who, especially, you know, we had so many folks, particularly in in Iraq, who have experienced the roadside bombs, the IEDs, and that these these people still can can remain so hyper vigilant even when they're just driving down the road. They're oh paying so goodness. much attention to what may be on the side of the road that any driving experience is kind of a white knuckle experience behind the steering wheel. Oh and I know some guys just say they they don't want to do that. I one of the things I will commonly do with uh, some of my vet clients, you know, they 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 don't like to be uh, in the downtown part of town because they can't walk down the street without being concerned about who's up on the rooftops. Oh my. These tend to be people who've done some of the door-to-door, neighborhood-to-neighborhood, you know, patrols in places like, um, you know, some of the smaller towns of Iraq and Afghanistan. And, and many times, you know, never, they never knew what they were going to encounter. So sometimes I will just take walks with some of my clients and have them talk about either what they're remembering or what they're feeling mm-hmm. and mm-hmm. try to... I to see if I can help get them more connected to what the reality is back at home here as opposed to the reality that's been burned and etched into their brain cells, you know. That's that's so powerful, Sam. And and I know you could go on, but I think we, we, we get the picture of how these men and women returning home are experiencing the trauma that, you know, if if sleep is is hard to come by, if driving is not ever easy for some if walking down the street is a struggle you know no wonder they're seeking your help and and no wonder this really has come to your attention as a big issue i i i want to ask you about something um and and again give you give you a few minutes to to go there if you will if you can um you've described some of the obvious or or for for me who's never served in this kind of situation you know the the ieds the 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 roadside bombs the the snipers and the incoming from the you know the the clear enemy um those sources of trauma that are resulting in the post-traumatic stress that our veterans are bringing home. But I believe, and I'm hearing more about it in the news all the time, and, and especially, you know, unfortunately with relation to um, women veterans and sexual assault in the military, but more broadly, since you see many more men than women, um, is, the, is the trauma only at the hands of our sworn enemies in these conflicts? Not at all. Um, I, I think that's what we would all like to think. I think one of the things that's been a surprise for me is the, I would say probably, oh, at least 20 to 25 percent of the veterans that I've worked with over the last several years will report to me that for them, the the primary source of their trauma and their struggles when they were serving overseas were people within their own military units, in some cases their own commanding officer, in some cases some of their own fellow comrades. You know, uh, I certainly have heard from veterans, uh, female veterans, as well as some male veterans who have experienced various forms of uh, sexual assault um, uh, from other Americans, um, uh it's a it's 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 a very mixed bag um of things that can serve as their primary source of trauma and you know you alluded to this earlier and certainly one of the things i've seen too is the these most recent wars you know because we've had 
an all-volunteer military. We no longer have a draft, and we're relying so heavily on people who have chosen to serve in the National Guard. That's the, the folks that have been deployed, you know, three, four, even five times, yeah. um, are coming back, uh, kind of getting re-injured, you know, to some degree every every time they go over there. Uh, it's very poignant for me to hear from some of the wives and spouses and partners of some of these veterans about how I could see a completely different person every time he came back. And uh, I'm not even sure I'm still married to the man I, I married, mm-hmm. you know, years ago. Mm-hmm. And, and one more thing, Doug, that I think is particularly relevant to some of the course material that you and I taught so long ago at Colorado State University. Part of what creates such an intense and deep conflict for so many of the male veterans in particular, is when they come back and when they find themselves still being hardwired in the ways that they became hardwired in combat and not being able to somehow turn that down or or turn that off, they get caught up in that whole notion of, I'm supposed to be okay. Mm -hmm. Nothing's supposed to be wrong with me. Mm -hmm. You know, so many people are thanking me for my service and a lot of these guys don't like to get those thank yous for thank you for your service comments, you know. Um, a lot of these guys wind up having that whole struggle of they've internalized what it means to be a good soldier, to be a good warrior. They've internalized what it means to be a man on some real deep level. And they know that their struggles are making it almost impossible for them to live up to that internalized ideal as they're living with these day-to-day challenges and struggles. And and sadly, what a lot of these guys wind up wanting to do is they they just kind of want to isolate. I cannot tell you how many veterans have told me, I just want to go get a cabin miles and miles out in the woods and just spend the rest of my life out there. Mm -hmm. You know, they don't like dealing with crowds. They don't like dealing with traffic. I I can't believe how many stories I've heard about veterans who hate fireworks shows for the 4th of July or other big events. Yeah. Pushes all kinds of buttons for them. And and then they start to internalize some degree of embarrassment or some degree of even shame that, that they have such strong reactions to so many different kinds of stimuli that never used to bother them before, you know? And, and, and yes, thank you for bringing it back to the, you know, the, the theme here of men and, and what we might call, you know, traditional masculine expectations that, you know, exactly. if, if this exactly. is how I'm supposed to be a man, and I did, you know, prove that um, by serving my country, and yet, to not be able to come home and and just get back to whatever it meant to be, you know, a civilian man or a you know a reservist, um, going about my daily life, is is difficult for us as men when we mm-hmm. cannot perform. And and you know this is this is a an ongoing theme in our work in this in this radio show that you know men are expected to live up to what is essentially an unrealistic expectation. We'll say set by society, but then we we hold ourselves to it and and thank you cuz it's helping me understand more the struggles that men returning from service have both internally and in dealing with their environments every day um and, and yet there's another level that I, I think you may be able to take this to cuz i've heard you refer to the concept of of the moral injury as it relates to your clients and i wonder if you'd say more about what you mean by that. Well, 
you know, particularly from some of the younger veterans that I've I've worked with, you know, so many of them were um, stirred by a patriotic, impulsive reaction to, you know, what happened on 9-11, you know, uh, with the World Trade Center towers and and felt like they they, they needed to rush into volunteering to serve in the military to come up with some kind of way to respond to that horrific incident. Uh, And they kind of, you know, signed on. And as you know, our last president, and vice president were determined to pull together some kind of big military response to those attacks on on uh, on New York City and uh, there was a whole there's a whole segment of uh, 20-somethings and even some early 30-somethings at this point in time who were for whom that was just a huge shaping historic event and so they signed up they volunteered they got shipped overseas and uh they they did, literally didn't know what they were going to be getting into. They literally didn't know what uh, um, what they had signed up for in many ways, you know. And one of the things you know uh, we're hearing about um, is the excessive use of certain weapons in Iraq that had depleted uranium, you mm. know. And we're starting to see some of the lingering consequences of excessive use of those kinds of weapons in that particular venue. We saw similar things in Vietnam with, you know, the widespread use of, of Agent Orange, which was a big defoliant that was used over a huge percentage of the whole country of Vietnam that exposed a huge portion of their population to, you know, very toxic chemicals. And, okay. you know, those parts of the world are, are still seeing some of the consequences of that. I have a good friend here in Oregon who has become friends with a number of people from the Marshall Islands where we did some of our original atomic bomb testing, you know, with the United States government back in the 50s and the 40s. And, you know, there there are higher rates of cancer in the Marshall yes. Islands yes. than any other any other part of the entire planet. So, so you're... Some, you're some concept... of our guys, some of our veterans come back knowing that, you know, either there's been a certain sense of, of uh, perhaps overkill a certain sense of maybe overreaction. You know, we were all told that there were weapons of mass destruction that we had to go after. And then when they come back realizing there was none of that stuff over there and we still went over there and we did everything that we did, they kind of come back with this amazing sense of cognitive dissonance. You know, we we have this huge need to want to see ourselves as a nation and want to see ourselves as a military force that, you know, kind of fights for truth, justice in the American way and fights only for good. And a lot of these guys come back, just all of that thinking has just been turned upside down, and they're not quite sure which which way is up anymore, you know. So the moral yeah. injury comes from not only the, the trauma, but that sense of being let down by the country that they set out to defend. And and that's got to be, again, that the, the cognitive dissonance, the confusion that that causes. Um, it, you know, I, I, I can only begin... To appreciate, and I wonder, you know, and and a lot of people too. I have to say, a lot of people, and it's really hard for vets to talk about this. But you know, Doug, I mean, part of what I've come to see is that on so many levels, war is basically organized mur- organized mass murder. Mm-hmm. You know, and a lot of guys were involved in 
uh, not only going after the identified enemy, but one of the things that was so awkward about uh, some of the places we've been fighting in recent years is it's not always easy to know who the, yeah. the true real enemy yeah. is. And sometimes just to be extra cautious and just to kind of protect yourself and your own comrades in your own unit, some people do some more. They aren't able to use as much discretion in terms of some of the targets they go after. That's, and they can, that's, that can yeah. haunt, haunt them for the rest of their lives. That has you know? to be haunting. That has to be so, that has to be so difficult. And this, this line of uh, discussion, Sam, kind of leads me to, to one of my last questions for you. It's more personal, if, if you don't mind. I, I've heard you say, in effect, that the more you work with this population, the deeper you become something of an anti-war activist yourself and i'm 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 wondering why what do you mean i mean what what's a psychologist to do in the face of the stories you're hearing and the people you're trying so hard to help with such profound struggles as a result of, of their service in iraq and afghanistan and elsewhere it has just really driven home for me that i think as as mere mortals as as the, the human beings that we are I don't think we are hardwired to be able to be subjected to that kind of experience uh, on any kind of prolonged basis, and certainly for the folks that have been seeing the repeated deployments, it's just an onslaught of, of, of stimuli that is, is more than they can make sense of. I mean, it's, it's, a, it, it's a certain cost of war that I don't think our last president and vice president took into consideration at all when they made some of the choices that they made. And I just, um, I don't know, these, I'm seeing people who I can tell have, you know, their, their internal hardwiring has been permanently altered by their experiences of war. In many cases, they, they are not able to come back home and resume a quote-unquote normal life. They're not able to come back home and just kind of, you know, pick up with their, their, their marriages or pick up with their careers uh, in an easy, effective, successful way. I am happy to report, maybe to try to include a little bit of an up note here. Um, I, this last June, this last spring, I actually had the largest number of college graduates among the veterans that I've been working with than I've had in any other year that I've been working with vets. You know, I had, I think it was either five or six veterans who either completed their bachelor's degree or got into graduate school. Or, that's fantastic. Um, yeah, that's so, fantastic. I mean, and I like want to see concentration of academic success that I've seen among this particular group of clients. That is amazing. That I've been working with them, and and so I do want to I do want to say that you know there there is there is improvement for people. There is growth. There is healing. Part of it is just even embracing the fact that, you know, they sometimes they don't even want to really acknowledge some of the psychological and moral wounds that have been inflicted on such a deep internal level. And, you know, they've got to, they've got to grapple with kind of accepting what really has happened to them before they can really start to see what kind of path is going to help bring them back out of that. Sam Sappington is my guest. He's a psychologist in private practice in Oregon, 50%, as he's been telling us, of his practice are uh, mostly men and some women and the extended families of those returning from military service with the kind of trauma that 
Um, we've come to generally refer to as PTSD, post-traumatic stress disorder, but the impact it's having on their lives is, is what he's been sharing with us. And I appreciate, Sam, also kind of your own reflections on, on how it impacts your own life. And, and I want to celebrate with you as well, you know, even if they are those little victories of, of the help you're providing and the results you're seeing when your clients will go on and, and finish school and do their best with your help and the support of the, the, the community to get back, um, to the, the, if we may, the most normal way of life we can. What we don't have time for, probably a whole other follow-up show, is is kind of your reflections on how the VA, uh, the Veterans Administration, is is both supplying you with clients, but how they may or may not be um, as easy to work with and as responsive as they might be. I would also re- uh, mention in a... Uh, in a related uh, post that I re- recently received, a former guest of mine, uh, she goes by the name Semper Sarah Plummer, a uh, former officer in the U.S. Marines who served in Iraq, and she is a, a survivor of military sexual assault. If you go to SemperSarah.com, you can see her recent interview on MSNBC where she responds to President Obama's comments on assault in the military. So um, a topic that relates in many ways to the program you're listening to, The Grateful Dad Radio Hour. Sam, thanks. I'm going to send you a copy of my gratitude journal. I'm also so grateful to uh, owner, guru, and engineer Haas for having me today. I know you didn't uh, join the conversation, although you have much to add because you're working furiously on the board there to keep my first time showing the air. Haas, I have a T-shirt that says Grateful Dad on it and a um, gratitude journal to give you to say thank you for welcoming me to the fold here at milehighradio.com. Next week, Rabbi Brant Rosen joins us. Wrestling with the Holy Land is the topic. He's one of the most outspoken, one of the few really outspoken rabbis in the country, uh, critical of Israel and Middle East relations. So join me back here next week at 1 o'clock Mountain Time on milehighradio.com for the Grateful Dad Radio Hour. Until then, I'm Doug Gertner, and I want to remind you to always be grateful. I'll meet you back here next week. Thanks for listening.